0: Solar Sail, dead or alive, this week on Planetary Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Public Radio's travel show that takes you to the final frontier. I'm Matt Kaplan. Is Cosmos One a failure? We'll get answers from Project Director Lou Friedman and others on the Solar Sail team, including more of Emily Lakdawalla's Solar Sail Diary, We'll also hear how that team is already looking to the future. And Bruce Betts will once again reveal what's up with the solar system and his latest trivia contest. Before we get to our special Cosmos 1 coverage, here's a look at other space news. There's no question about the success of Mars Express. The European Space Agency's orbiter has now completed deployment of all three giant booms or antennas, with a total length of more than 150 feet Testing of the ground-penetrating radar instrument has begun with the first look beneath the surface of the Red Planet, scheduled for the 4th of July. More details at planetary.org. NASA will be sharing some final considerations regarding the readiness of Space Shuttle Discovery. The agency has scheduled a press conference and is expected to announce the official launch date, which is likely to be in mid to late July. Meanwhile, Discovery sits on pad 39A at the Kennedy Space Center, in final preparation for return to flight. And all systems are go for deep impact to live up to its name. Many of Earth's biggest telescopes will be pointed at comet Temple 1 on July 3rd or 4th, depending on your time zone. They'll be watching for the flash of light that will indicate an explosively successful collision. Tune in to next
1: week's show for a special report. Anticipated launch in 10, 9... Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Launch. We are,
2: we are waiting.
3: You know we have nominal launch.
1: So We're he's calling five. that we have the nominal launch.
3: Well, one moment, Moscow. This is Pasadena. Please uh, We are waiting for a message from
2: Severomorsk.
1: Severomorsk is the Russian naval base that will send confirmation that there was a launch or was not hear the voice of the Russian translator in Moscow is the female voice we heard. What should be happening now is the rocket burn. The first stage is already probably separated if there was a nominal launch. The Volna rocket burn occurs for a period of uh, approximately six minutes with three stages. Then there will be a long coasting phase of several minutes before the kick motor, the effective fourth stage. Bruce Batts acting as mission commentator for the Cosmos
0: One launch on Tuesday, June 21st, 2005. He spoke to a mass of television cameras, reporters, and special guests, packed into the headquarters of the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, all silent, all listening to the telephone connection to Mission Operations Moscow, where Project Director Lou Friedman and others were also listening for confirmation that the nominal or scheduled liftoff from a Russian Navy submarine had actually taken place.
1: In terms of tracking and communication with the satellite, the spacecraft, the uh, first tracking station that will pick it up is a portable tracking station in Kamchatka, also known as... uh
3: I don't know if you heard that, the flight is normal, the first stage is separated. Ah, great. Well, I didn't hear this. Really?
1: Okay, good. No, the the announcement was that the uh, launch was normal, and so we assume a relatively normal launch time. The rocket still should be burning. So very positive news, to say the least.
0: Sadly, this would be the last entirely positive news. It quickly became apparent that something had gone wrong, though no one knew what. As Project Operations Assistant, Emily Lakdawalla was sitting in the Pasadena counterpart to Mission Operations Moscow, anxiously waiting for updates.
2: Launch plus three hours. While it was exciting to hear that the launch happened, we at POP haven't celebrated yet. We're waiting for the first signal to be detected. There was sort of a detection at Petropavlovsk, but it was weak and noisy. And then there was no detection at Majuro. Also, there was some data that was received from the launch vehicle about 200 or 250 seconds after the launch. After that, there may have been something wrong with the launch vehicle or some ambiguity in the data. But what that ambiguity is we don't understand, because the only information on it came via cell phone from the Navy at Severomorsk. No one here or in Moscow has seen what that data looks like. But what we're most concerned about is that Strategic Command hasn't seen the spacecraft. That is really bad news. The data is noisy, and we just don't know where our spacecraft is. Sorry, everybody. I wish I had more info to share with you. I'll return as soon as I have something to say.
0: But more information would arrive at an excruciatingly slow rate. Despite the lack of hard data, the media wanted to question the project principles. One by one, team members and their supporters provided their thoughts. None were more eloquent than Ann Druyan, head of project underwriter Cosmos Studios and widow of Planetary Society founder Carl Sagan. Anne spoke as project director Lou Friedman listened from Moscow.
4: You know, obviously, there's some unknown aspects to this, and we'll look forward to getting the information. What I like about science and engineering is that it's straightforward and honest. Whatever we discover from this mission, if it's um, if it's not a success, we'll still learn from it. You know, the weight of the stars is hard. Ad Astra, per Aspera, through hard work. I feel just as inspired and just as committed, and I know I speak for Joe Firm- Firmage and Kent Gibson at Cosmo Studios, that we are open to new dreams and to try again to realize this dream. And we'll do everything we can to make that happen. The honor of working with everyone at the Planetary Society and uh, the trust, confidence, the commitment of its 80,000 members is inspiring and we should really keep on keeping on. So um, go to planetary dot org, join us, help us, go to solarale dot org and see what we have there. And um, we'll see you guys another day.
3: I just want to add, uh, oh I always want to disagree with one word you used, uh, and that's straightforward <laughs> right now, there's nothing straightforward in this data. right, but uh, but when we, we do know, know it we
4: to say it as it really is.
3: Yes, no, I, I, I know I know exactly what you meant. Yeah. and uh, and I've got to remind everybody that uh, in a sense, uh, uh, we've made some extra heroic efforts with these portable stations to uh, to get that tracking, and uh, we're using a somewhat marginal pass over uh, the uh, first tracking station over the uh, the ground network at uh, uh, Panskefest in Moscow. But by no means have they made any conclusions at this point, and I don't think we should.
2: Launch plus nine hours. We have a live spacecraft, we think. We got spacecraft telemetry data from Kamchatka. We feel reasonably confident that what we saw was real signal. And in going back through the Majuro data, Viktor Krasanovich reported this afternoon that we now think we got about 10 seconds of data from that pass. And that 10 seconds of data is consistent enough with the stuff from Kamchatka that we're pretty sure that Victor saw something that originated from Cosmos 1. Panska also reportedly saw some similar kind of data with similar kinds of patterns. So what this means is that we are probably in orbit, but it's not the orbit that we thought it was. So now we search. If we're in the wrong orbit, it could take days to find Cosmos 1. Where to look? Odds are, if there was a problem with the launch vehicle, the launch vehicle more likely underperformed than overperformed. That means our orbit is more likely elliptical than circular and also lower and therefore faster than we expect. If it underperformed too much, we could be dipping dangerously low in the atmosphere, which could make us spiral down to Earth. Without knowing where the spacecraft is, it becomes harder and harder to find as we go out from the launch date. But we won't stop looking. I'll let you know what we find out.
0: The media representatives would trickle out over the next few hours, many having filed stories with open endings. Around the world, anxious fans of the mission were coming directly to the source for updates. Over the course of that week, the Planetary Society website would receive well over 30 million hits. The next day, a much smaller group would gather to assess the project and begin to consider next steps. Bill Nye the Science Guy arrived a few minutes late, carrying a styrofoam cooler full of champagne and sparkling cider. The vice president of the Planetary Society then proposed a toast.
1: Unaccustomed as I am to public speaking. <laughs> no, I just thanks everybody for your very hard work. I mean, uh, we didn't, we did all we could here. And uh, I think everybody feels that it's time to try Cosmos 2. Don't we feel that way? I, I mean, we could pull it off. So here's to Cosmos yeah. 2. Yeah.
4: What yeah. Cheers. Oh, cheers. I think to Lou Friedman. To Lou Friedman. Yeah.
0: And yet, the story of Cosmos 1 is still not complete. An exclusive conversation with Project Director Lou Friedman when Planetary Radio continues in one minute.
3: This is Buzz Aldrin. When I walked on the moon, I knew it was just
0: the
4: beginning of humankind's great adventure in the solar system. That's why I'm a member of the
3: Planetary Society, the world's largest space interest group. The Planetary Society is helping to explore Mars. We're tracking near-Earth asteroids and comets, We sponsor the search for life on other worlds, and we're building the first-ever solar sail. You can learn about these adventures and exciting new discoveries from space exploration in The Planetary Report.
2: The Planetary Report is the Society's full-color magazine. It's just one of many member benefits. You can learn more by calling 1-877-PLANETS. That's toll-free, 1-877-752-6387. And you can catch up on space exploration news and developments at our exciting and informative website, planetarysociety.org. The Planetary Society, exploring new worlds.
0: We go now to the man at the center of the Cosmos One project. Lou Friedman literally wrote the book on solar sailing. The executive director of the Planetary Society had only been back in the United States for a few hours when he joined us. Lou, welcome back.
3: Thank you, Matt. It's it's good to be back. I wish it was uh, with uh, happier circumstances, uh, but I am glad to be back. I
0: wanted to start with uh, some of the reactions that were pouring in while you were in Moscow and continue to pour in an amazing number of email messages and other correspondence with the Planetary Society, many of them expressing really heartfelt condolences but a fair number of
3: congratulatory messages as well. Are, are both appropriate? I think both are appropriate. In fact, I think the congratulatory messages in some ways might be more appropriate because really what they're congratulating us and the whole team for uh, is effort. You know, you could never succeed if you don't try. And so the trying is the first part of it. And uh, I think uh, everybody appreciates that we did, and this is part of the space business. We we've known that for many years. There's been no ventures in space that haven't been accompanied by uh, some failures along the line in their development or in their predecessors or in in ways we do things. It's true in the big programs. It's true in the human spaceflight program, and it's true in the robotic program, and it's true in the little technology ventures that we we sometimes uh, start out on. So I'm I'm very proud. I'm very proud of our team. I'm, I'm proud of what we accomplished. Uh, I wish our launch had gone well. To lose something on the launch vehicle really hurts. Somebody once said, uh, you don't get any chance yourself to fail, Uh, you don't even get up there to make the trial yourself. But I'm very proud of uh, what we did accomplish uh, on this mission and uh, we're gonna try again.
0: We're at the headquarters of the Planetary Society recording this in what became the press room during launch. And I don't know that there's ever been so many people in this room, certainly never so much media coverage. As the day progressed, there was more and more concern being expressed about you personally because this project
3: has been such a big part of your life. certainly has been a big part of my life, and the idea of uh, really accomplishing the first solar sail flight was something I wanted to do very much. But let's not be confused. As uh, one of my friends uh, said to me uh, as we were having a a late-night reminiscence about the whole experience, we're still alive. It's about us. Uh, we're, we're going on and we're going to do great things. Uh, these efforts, uh, are part, just part of our professional activity. And if you're in the space business to think you're always going to succeed right away with the first thing you do, it's, it's just not going to happen. This is my third experience. I've got to tell you, Matt, uh, with a Russian launch failure, which, uh, also is weighing on me. Uh, uh, somewhat heavily, the uh, Mars ninety six mission. The Planetary Society had a CD on it. Uh, we were, we felt like we were part of the mission. I went and watched the launch, and the launch failed. Uh, and then, of course, we had the two Volna launches uh, that uh, did not succeed. In, that was in, the
0: the test mission, yeah. uh, and now, of course, the
3: actual the, the, Cosmos one spacecraft. Exactly. Uh, so the stereotype of. Uh, Russian launch vehicles being uh, the one, th- one thing they do very well uh, didn't work out in our case. Mm. And uh, uh, it is a big disappointment in that regard. Uh, and as I said, in other regards, uh, I'm hoping that uh, we we recover well and, and go on to do uh, bigger and better things.
0: Now, we're talking as if this story is complete or nearly so. We'll mention that uh, we're recording this on uh, Saturday, the 25th, but – Really, the story you were telling me before we uh, started the recorder
3: may not be over. Well, the story may not be over. In fact, uh, we have some d- data uh, that that indicates a signal from the spacecraft uh, was received. And, in fact, we have even um, uh, more than just a little bit of data. We have it at three different tracking stations, and we're working hard to try and analyze it. It's very noisy. It's very weak. It's rather uncertain. So it's going to take a fair amount of analysis, and I don't want to say uh, that we can uh, have anything definitive about it yet until uh, basically the team in Russia and the team in the United States that are working together on it uh, can come to a consensus. Hopefully, maybe by the time uh, your listeners are listening to this talk, we'll have something up on our website. Russian Space Agency uh, version is that the entire vehicle, uh, all the rocket and the uh, spacecraft, never separated and went down together uh, in the Barents Sea. And I... Uh, uh, don't know enough to say that we can contradict that yet. But if uh, indeed our spacecraft did make it to orbit, as this data would indicate, that would, of course, be a very exciting result to us. It would make us feel a little better that we had at least produced that in this project.
0: What else could have produce this data
3: well uh it's it's data but it's it's uh data with a high uh or or I should say a low signal to noise uh so it could be all noise it mm. could be uh, radio frequency interference it could be ghosts that are basically in the uh, signals of radio your signal here on your radio show is nice. It's really clean and you work hard at it. <laughs> High signal to noise. But uh, if you were up there in uh, orbit and working in some of the uh, conditions that where these receivers were in stations and with some and now you're in the wrong orbit and you've got a spacecraft that's going to be underperforming because it's it's in a low orbit, maybe buffeted by the atmosphere, uh you could have all kinds of spurious things that are that that could be happening uh that may or may not be from the spacecraft, uh, and uh, so if it's from the spacecraft, that has to really be correlated to events very carefully, and if it isn't, then we need to be see if we can analyze it and, and tell what, wh- where it came from.
0: Well, that makes this next question uh, rather unfair, since the story, the last chapter has not been written on Cosmos 1 yet. Where does the Planetary Society and its many partners, wh- where do they go now?
3: Well, you talked about the public response. It was extremely gratifying. The public interest in this as a, as a effort uh, is something that I think is already a success story for us at the Planetary Society. The notion that uh, a private group can contribute something, seed and inspire uh, space exploration, I think is uh, is has been done. And in that sense, we, we succeeded already. Uh, so we're not going to give up. We're going to go from here. A lot of people write me and say, what's, what's happening with Cosmos 2? What are we going to do about Cosmos 2? Well, first of all, if we do something else, it may not be called Cosmos 2. Or,
0: you, you, uh, you heard that quote from Bill Nye when he toasted uh, the uh, yeah, next that's, day. That's right. Uh, In fact, to, Bill
3: mentioned that. Uh, Bill's enthusiasm is uh, certainly undaunted. Uh, but my enthusiasm is undaunted too. We're going to, we're going to go from here. We're going to investigate whether or not we can do another solar sailing mission, whether we should do it differently or whether we should do it uh, the same. Uh, we've certainly, uh, invested a lot in a very good spacecraft, what we think is a very good spacecraft and a very good team, uh, we don't want to just throw that out. So we're going to try very hard to uh, uh, see if we can get sponsors and, and uh, contributors like we did in, in uh, Cosmos One. I must say that uh, Andrea at Cosmos Studios is extremely supportive. She's, she's ready to go and to the best of her ability, I think she'll be on board for anything we try in the future. Uh, there's only one thing I can tell you for sure, Matt. We're not going to do it on a on the launch vehicle. I think we've had it on, uh, on that particular launch vehicle. Uh, we don't feel good about not only the fact that it didn't make it, that's almost understandable and or, or or livable with in in terms of the space business, but in the whole way that uh, has been approached to uh, the uh, previous failures that they had is not just the uh, this failure. It's the previous one we had on our program, and it's the one they had with the European uh, Space Agency on their program. In between our test flight and this one, so I don't think there's much chance we're going to do it on a Volna
0: again. We could spend another 15, 20 minutes, half an hour talking about other launch options. But you know what? I know we're going to have other segments about solar sales, uh in the future uh, on this radio program.
3: And so maybe we'll leave it for that. We can uh, title that show, There's No Such Thing as a Free Launch. <laughs> Well, you're certainly proving that you have come back in good spirits. I have, Matt. Uh, I There's no way not to be in bad spirits, and it's it's kind of interesting because uh, I did expect to be bummed out and depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did uh, put a lot into this, and I I was uh, in the few times that I actually thought, well, you know, this maybe it won't work. What's going to happen to me? I thought I'd be uh, much more depressed, but as we've certainly worked on the details of this idea that maybe there's a spacecraft signal in orbit, and now as we work to try to understand what went wrong in the launch phase, to uh, thinking about the future, to think, to looking at all the support that uh, the staff of the Planetary Society, the members of the Planetary Society, our sponsor, Cosmos Studios, and uh, so many of our donors have have given to this, I'd be crazy to be depressed. <laughs>
0: I'm glad you feel that way, and so i'm going to finish with my own congratulations and uh, and leave it at that and we'll look forward to hearing more as the the real uh story of Cosmos One continues to unfold, and the planetary society and its partners
3: move forward with this uh beautiful concept of a sail in space well, thank you, Matt, and thank you for all you've done for the society and uh and helping us be part of the solar sail team.
0: My pleasure, Lou Friedman is the executive director of the planetary society and the project director for Cosmos One and uh, the ongoing effort to put the first solar sail in orbit above the Earth. We're going to be back with Bruce Betts and What's Up, but let's check back in with Emily one more time for her solar sail diary.
2: Launch plus one day. So it's looking more and more certain that our space mission may be a failure. As with many failed missions before us, it was the launch that got us. This is frustrating, because if we did fail, we failed before we ever got to try the new technology we were attempting to pioneer. Where would that leave us? The fact is that we still built the world's first solar sail spacecraft, and we attempted to launch it. That in itself is an achievement, though of course we wanted to achieve more. When I say we here, I'm not just talking about the Cosmos One project team. I'm talking about everybody who made this mission attempt possible. That includes our sponsors and the thousands of Planetary Society members who gave what they could to support us. All day long yesterday, the email from our members kept pouring in. Not only were the messages uniformly positive, wishing us luck, but in fact they became more and more positive as the day went on. I'm proud and happy to have been able to help make our members and well-wishers a part of this space exploration experience. You know what that means? Maybe our spacecraft did fail, but even so, the mission didn't as far as I'm concerned. The Planetary Society's mission is, in part, to inspire the public, and it seems we may have done that. I'm proud of that, and I hope we get a chance to do it again. This is Emily Lakdawalla, Project Operations Assistant for the Cosmos One mission.
0: Time for What's Up on this special edition of Planetary Radio. So we are joined by Bruce Betts, the director of projects for the Planetary Society. And as you may have heard if you heard the uh, earlier part of this show... Our uh, moderator, uh, explainer extraordinaire, uh, during the Cosmos One mission. In fact, in this room, uh, which was, uh, as we said in the conversation with Lou, was packed. Man, this was this was a very crowded facility, and we learned that the air conditioning is wasn't quite up
1: to it. We did, we did, but uh, but the press were fortunately, and uh, we had a lot of press coverage and and a lot of great comments from people about the mission. Uh, So whatever happens, I think we're quite happy with the fact that lots of people know about solar sailing now and are getting psyched on space exploration, and that's really what we're about. What's up, Bruce? Well, still got some uh, good planets in the evening sky. If you look shortly after sunset, in low in the west, you can see Venus. Looking like the brightest star-like object, with Mercury just nuzzling it for the next couple of weeks. The last week of June, first week of July, extremely close to Venus, much dimmer, but still looking like a bright star. Uh, we had Saturn nuzzling with them that I've watched in the last couple of days. Uh, I don't know if you have as well, Matt. <sighs> I'll take I, that as a no. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but Saturn still—you might see it down below them. It's fa- it's sinking very rapidly this last uh, week of June, first week of July. You can also see Jupiter nearly overhead, looking like the second brightest star-like object. And in the pre-dawn sky, you can see Mars, looking kind of reddish in the east. Jupiter in the evening, right? Because yes. I'm yeah. sorry, Jupiter. In the evening. Because
0: I did take out the telescope in the evening and look at Jupiter, and it was great. saw the bands. It was terrific. Nice.
1: Did you see some moons? I did, yeah. Ah, Two were really close. Go out there, people. Look at that. Look at that. Just small telescope. Even stable binoculars. You can see little points of light that look like the moons. Moving right along, this week in space history, 20 years ago... The European Space Agency launched a probe to study Halley's Comet. We'll come back to that in the trivia contest. But it allows me to mention that NASA has a probe about to reach Comet Temple 1, which, with a good amateur telescope, you can actually look for in the night sky. There are various sites on the web that will tell you how to do that. Uh, it is not a naked eye object. They do expect it may brighten after being slammed with an 800-pound ball of copper, which will occur on July 3rd or 4th, depending on your time zone. And we've got an event. If you're in the Pasadena, Southern California area, or want to come play with us, come out and watch it live with us on a giant screen. You can find out more about Comet
0: Bash at planetary.org. I know we're calling it Comet Bash, but I liked your your term, Comet Smackdown. <laughs> <laughs> Be there!
1: <laughs> Moving right along, on to Random Space Fight. The Cosmos One solar spacecraft weighed only about 220 pounds and a mass of about 100 kilograms, basically the size of a, a large male human. So yeah, a good-sized guy, but but very small spacecraft. Very small spacecraft so that you it makes it easier to push it with light. Trivia contest? Please. It turns out the trivia contest was uh, rather confusing. My fault. Sorry. Uh, what I was looking for is that in stars, when you fuse different elements together, like hydrogen fuses with hydrogen to make helium, uh, releases huge amounts of energy. That's how hydrogen bombs and the interior of our sun works. Well, you can keep fusing elements, but up until a point and then past that mass, you have elements that when you fuse them, you actually, it takes energy instead of releasing energy. So I asked, what is this happy little end product that, big stars produce, and it's iron. But I kind of acted like we were looking for the elements right before iron that you would fuse and get energy out, so we will take either iron or manganese or any other logical answer. We mixed them all up in a pile and did our random selection, and who won? Well,
0: as it happens, our winners this week submitted manganese, and they didn't actually send us a piece of manganese. That that would have been so cool! No! We could have had some fusion. Karen and Ben Howard... Karen and Ben said, our answer is manganese with only one less proton than iron. Manganese is the heaviest element that gives off energy fusion. We'll be listening to the show to see if we're correct. Hey, Karen and Ben, you out there? You won. We're going to send you a solar sail poster right to your home in uh, Camaray, Australia.
1: Hey, to win your solar sail poster, go to planetary.org slash radio. Find out how to answer this question. And I'm going to ask an easier one, so we don't have that challenge (laughs) next time. Which was, what was the name of the spacecraft that the European Space Agency sent to Halley's Comet? Tell us, please. Oh, please.
0: But be sure to get that entry to us by, it's the 4th of July, July 4th, Monday, at 2 p.m. Pacific time, if you want to make sure that your entry is counted in this newest space trivia contest.
1: Part of Planetary Radio each week, part of What's Up. I think we're done. All right, everybody, go out there, look up the night sky, and think about optimism. Thank you, and good night. How very appropriate.
0: A nice note for us to end What's Up on, and even a nice note to end Planetary Radio on. He's the Director of Projects for the Planetary Society, Dr. Bruce Betts. Yet another special show next week as we cover Deep Impact's violent rendezvous with Comet Temple 1. I hope you'll join us. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California. Keep the faith, everyone.